Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. The Kinky Cast is heard in over 150 countries. This week's episode is number 225. In our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships, views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we present Laura Coleman on life coaching. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for loads of information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com. Here's your host, Woody. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. The Beast is not next to me tonight because he has car problems. That is not a good thing. But sitting next to me electronically is Dr. Laura Coleman. How are you this evening, Laura? I'm great. Looking forward to our conversation. Well, fantastic. It says doctor in your title, so you're a PhD. I'm a PhD. I actually have two master's degrees and a PhD. I have a master's degree in special education, master's in psychology, and a PhD in psychology. Well, you certainly have a lot of initials after your name then. (laughs) Yes, I do. You're on the Kinky Cast, so obviously we have a kinky flavor to our discussion tonight. And you have counseled people that have been in the lifestyle and that have family issues and what have you. But one of the things that we had chatted about earlier before we started the recording is people that represent themselves as coaches that aren't. It's true. There is no legal, there's no law for a coach like there is for a therapist, a doctor, and so on. You can hang out a shingle and say you're a coach. It doesn't make you a coach. There are two main organizations that certify coaches that have a set of ethics and that that demonstrate that you have uh, training and skill. The one that I chose is the one that's specifically for people who were therapists and want to transition into coaching. It's dangerous to go to someone for coaching when they're not a trained coach. And that is because they don't know the ethics. They don't know the rules. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing for you. And they don't know the difference in boundaries, the separation between their needs and yours. As a coach, my job is to help you reach your goals, not fulfill my needs. Coaching certainly covers a wide spectrum. You know, you could just be a vanilla life coach and uh, teach people how to not teach people, but coach people on how to lose weight, quit smoking, whatever their thing is that they're trying to do, trying to be successful in life. Whereas when you get into the kinky world, We have a whole set of new issues where maybe somebody new in the lifestyle is trying to develop their domliness or their submissive side and these sorts of things. And you've had experience in this area. I want to answer you in more than one way. Okay. First of all, as a life coach, I'm not a teacher. There's a difference between education, counseling, and coaching. As a coach... You set the goal. You decide how you're going to learn what you want to know. It's not my job to teach you, but merely to help you proceed toward the goal that you have. So if you want to improve your domliness, 
You might choose to go to some classes at a, at a dungeon. You might read some books. You might watch podcasts. You might do a whole lot of things. You And what you would do is set goals for yourself. And then we would talk about how you're proceeding toward those goals. I'm more submissive than, than dominant, so I wouldn't be a good teacher for someone who wants to increase their dominance. Um, but I would be a good coach because I can listen and hear what you're saying and pull out the things that you haven't quite said to make your own plan and set your own assignments and deadlines and so forth like that. And hold them to it. And hold them accountable. That's correct. That's probably the biggest thing in coaching. You know, we, we hear about trainers and coaches and different things in the athletic field. And if I want to be a star athlete, if I don't have a coach that's getting me there, I don't think I, certainly I don't have the discipline to get mm -hmm. there. And so I need somebody to stay on me and say, you said you wanted this. Here is your next goal that you need to achieve to get there. I probably would handle that differently as a professional coach. I would say, you know, you said you wanted that. You haven't done what you committed to do. What's going on? Let's pick it apart. Let's look at what the barriers are so that we can set a new goal or a new short-term goal that would lead you to your longer-term goal. So holding someone accountable isn't just, hey, you said you were going to do that. Now let's do it. It's what's stopping you. Analyzation. Well, looking at it, but then making an action plan mm -hmm. that goes with what you figure out. You know, people, people inadvertently sabotage themselves in a variety of ways. And so it's my job to hear all of that and gently, kindly point that out so that they can then overcome those, those barriers. And so there's the difference between someone who's been trained to do this and someone who's not. You know, there's common thoughts all over the place about what a coach would do and a coach would tell you what to do. Well, the coach doesn't tell you what to do. So that would be a trainer. That could be a trainer. That's correct. And someone who wants to achieve more in a sport might choose a trainer. Uh, they may come to a coach to talk about the problems they're having in their training. They might want to choose a different trainer. They might, and they might have reasons why they're, they're not making those changes. So there's, there's all kinds of things that could come up and someone setting a goal. Okay. And then uh, a counselor would be some other version of this. Okay. The difference between um, coaching and counseling is, is a really critical one. Um, and I, I wrote a, a blog post on that. It's on my website, ColemanLifeCoaching.com. Counseling is for people who have a diagnosable behavioral disorder. The power differential in counseling between the counselor and the client is that the therapist is in charge. They're treating you for this disorder. Um, they're hoping to help fix you. Coaching, we're equal. You hire me to help you achieve your goal. I think a lot of people have been using the terms interchangeably, and obviously they're not interchangeable at all. That's correct. And that's why training for coaches is so critical. Because if you don't know the difference, number one, you could get into legal trouble, which is, you know, breaking the law of being a counselor without a license. But also you could harm people by presenting yourself as one thing and not, and not doing that. Okay, you said legal. So you, obviously there's a counseling license. Okay. Well, there are a number of different counseling licenses. It's kind of interesting. When I was in California as a therapist, I was a licensed marriage and family therapist. 
working toward my psychologist license. Okay, so that, that was very specific then. Very specific. Today, there are licensed clinical social workers. There are licensed professional counselors. There's, there are uh, obviously licensed psychologists. And then there's board certification. I still hold my certifications as a counselor. I'm a national certified counselor and a certified clinical mental health counselor, even though I'm not practicing as a counselor anymore. As a coach, I'm board certified through the training and, and the board certification that I've chosen, it builds on my training as a therapist. Are these national certifications or yes. state national? Okay. The licenses are state. The certifications are national. Okay. See, all these things that I didn't know, and maybe a lot of people didn't know them also. So hopefully this is helpful. I think the more important issue for me is, is the issue of ethics. If you're going to go toward a certification, if you're going to go toward a license, if you're going to go toward a professional standing, then you're going to learn just some simple things like how to, that you have to keep your records, that you have to take notes, that you have to have a signed coaching agreement uh, before you start, uh, that you have to inform people of your limitations, that you're not a therapist, that you're, you're operating as a coach. And also, the, for me, this is my opinion now, in the ethical statements for board-certified coach, it talks about dual relationships. And dual relationships as a therapist mean that if I've been your friend, I can't be your therapist. It's a little bit less as a coach, so that if I know you in one, one area, I could coach you in, as a coach. But I also still have to be, I have to remember that I'm not supposed to meet my needs at your expense. I'm supposed to be there to help you reach your goals, achieve your dream, and grow in the way that you've chosen to grow, solve the problems you think you have, and, and so forth. And I'm, I'm not supposed to really take gifts, and, you know, the, the payment that I charge is is enough. I'm not supposed to take gifts. I'm not supposed to to use you in any way. And that's where the issue of untrained, unqualified people who are hanging out a shingle but not knowing that they're not supposed to use you in any way. Okay, so you have the professional aspect of it that you just outlined. Then you have the uh, the amateur couch jockey that just says, hey, I'm going to help you out and give you some advice. There's no money exchanged, but it could be dangerous also. It could. What I tell people is, is that, you know, listen to your inner self and try it on in your mind first. And if it doesn't feel right, it's not. You know, I write a lot about self-help and, and bad advice and abusive relationships. And, and every now and then I have ranted about pop psychology. Okay. And pop how psychology, we, I like that. There you go. Pop psychology, how, how we, that's probably really old. <laughs> I'm sure I, I like it though. Okay. And we're, we pathologize everything. So if you're sad, you're depressed. If you feel afraid, you're anxious. And so we, we analyze everybody and we tell them what they should do and, and none of it is appropriate. Okay. We'd be better off being good friends with someone, listening carefully and, and, and believing in their ability to grow and develop and become who they're trying to be. It's a slippery slope going from that yes. to a BDSM mentor. Right. Exactly. Which is typically not a paid position. Right. Well, maybe even legally. I guess somebody could give 
money to a friend for thanks or something. But uh, you get into legal issues, you get into ethical issues, you get into conflict of interest issues. And in BDSM, I've seen conflict of interest so many times. And I have often said, if you are a female looking for a mentor, choose a female. Yes. Because typically a and the thing is, if you're a gay female, be careful of choosing a female because anybody that could have a sexual interest in you is going to possibly compromise. Right. And that's the problem. Uh, you know, you're better off if you attend organized educational events. Like, of course, we're local. You and I were in, in the Nashville area, and there's the mark, and there's extensive educational programming. You know, not everybody's perfect, and not everybody's exceptional at teaching, but you're more than likely going to learn something you need to learn and not get take advantage of in that way. And most of these are peer classes. Right. And so there, there's a certain caveat that goes with that. Anybody right. that calls himself an expert probably isn't. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not an expert. No, I'm not. Well, you see, you don't call yourself an expert, so you're probably closer then. Yeah, I'm, I'm making a joke too. Yeah, I, I, I got it. Yeah, okay. Every week I get on this cast and, and I uh, profess my opinion, and that's what it is. It's an opinion. Now, whether people want to take my opinion Challenge my opinion by all means. I have many channels to challenge my opinion. Bring it on. Right. If you have a valid opinion, I want to hear it because that way I'm just here spewing words. And and if somebody has a viewpoint, you know, Laura, you come from a professional trained point of view. I do not. You obviously right. know about conflicts of interest and all these different things where I right. think I do, but I probably don't. I write a lot on FetLife about how to help yourself as a new person or how to find out what you really want or how to protect yourself while you're learning what you like and don't like and what you want and what don't want. And and those are real important issues to me. And as, as a coach now, I think about the problem someone with a kinky background, with kinky interests, might have going to someone who is not kink aware or kink knowledgeable. That is a very dangerous thing to go to yes. a therapist that's going to be judgmental. I say therapist. I'm, I'm using that as a very broad term. Helping professional. Professional. That is a very tough thing. I, I know that when I went through some relationship issues, I went to a, a relationship counselor who was on the NCSF uh, kink aware professionals page. And so when I got there, I knew that they would not judge me for being a kinky freak. Right. And did they not? They did not. Okay. Um, because that's, that's important. I, you know, I don't know how many years ago it was that the mental health organizations decided that kink was not a mental illness anymore. Right. DSM five. There's, that and then there's just personal opinion and how your personal opinion can color what you're doing so that I'm thinking about the people who've come to me from FetLife for coaching and what could have happened if I confused the issues. They didn't come to me for their kink. They came to improve their relationships. They came to make their lives better 
And if I was unaware, I, I could mistakenly focus on the kink instead of what they were hiring me for. Well, that's true. And, and everything has to be kept in its proper silo so that uh, things don't get mixed up. But what right. I, I have found in, in a lot of professional situations, whether it is a lawyer, a doctor, uh, what have you, you know, I always surprise my doctor. You know, when I ask for my regular STI checks, I always get an eye roll or something like that. I think he's getting used to me by now. Okay. But, but, but he's as vanilla as vanilla gets. And so when you are dealing with professionals, you know, especially in a, a counseling sort of situation where you're trying to get out of a problem and somebody that doesn't understand where you're coming from is either going to have a little bit of prejudgment in there, which can be very, very rough to get through. Yes. I've just opened up an office in Murfreesboro. I trained originally as a marriage, family, and child counselor. And I picked that specific license because um, I was a play therapist and then I worked with children. And now as a coach for children and adults and partners and relationships and, and so forth, I think about the dangers to people if you have a non-kink-aware helper and how twisted it could be. You know, I was thinking in terms of children, it could become an alienation of, infect of affection. You know, you could actually misuse your position to separate the parent and the child or confuse kink with abuse or, you know, I mean, and the children are protected from the you know, adults. People who, who are in BDSM normally protect their children from their activities. So it's not an issue. It, it's simply a matter of fact. And, and so the kid comes to, to me for problems with their schoolwork and, and I, then focus on the schoolwork. I don't focus on the family life unless I have a prejudice. It's good being able to separate those things. Uh, are you a mandatory re reporter? All people who work with children are mandatory reporters. Being able to correctly separate right. the lifestyles and different things is important because certainly you could, not you, a vanilla person could confuse BDSM as an abusing situation, regardless of how separated. That's right. Your kid accidentally stumbles over the paddle. You know, kids are sneaky and they're going to go into the cabinets and they're, I mean, they do, all kids do that. Yes, an untrained, prejudiced person could turn that normal life problem into something horrific. And then, of course, the, the other version of that is the kid takes the paddle to school for show and tell. And teachers oh. are mandatory reporters. Yes. And then you have a real encounter. So it's uh, trying to talk to your children to give them enough information to stay out of your toy cabinet, to draw some lines in life. Right. And I guess you can help in that sort of thing. Yes. Well, you know, there was um, a talk I gave years ago. It was a convention for adult children of alcoholics. And it was about parenting. And and what I what I did with them in that talk was talk about listing all the different areas of your life and figuring out like eating, sleeping, uh, dressing, what what your values are so that you could then take your values and teach your kids the rules you want them to know. Most people do this stuff 
instinctively. And if you've had any kind of, of dysfunctional childhood, if you've had any kind of abuse or any kind of chaos in your family life, you don't always have those instincts and you have to do it more mindfully. You have to pay attention and artificially create those rules until they're comfortable for you. That's how I would go at that with people is if you're worried about your child stumbling over your toys, then let's think about where you want to keep them and how you want to teach the child not to enter that, those private spaces. While we're on the uh, subject of kids and kink, I want to refer our listeners back to episode 127, uh, Emmy Kanawati, who does, uh, she's a sex positive presenter on how to talk to your children and get them to understand sexuality without making it a dirty subject. And she refers to a number of books that are out on the subject. And this can help in the situation that we just referred to, where a kid takes a paddle to school or something like that. And, and it is uh, getting an understanding that sex is not a dirty, ugly thing. In fact, I was just last night, I was listening to a TED talk on the subject where a researcher uh, interviewed 300 women in universities in the U.S. and 300 women in university in um, the Netherlands. And the difference between the way they were raised is that in the U.S., sex is dirty. It has disease possibilities. It has pregnancy possibilities, all on a negative side. And in uh, Holland, they were all the the joy of pleasure and uh, the the wonderfulness of a relationship. And, and so it was a complete negative to positive situation. And the result was uh, the, the Dutch girls had fewer partners, better quality relationships, and had fewer unplanned pregnancies and fewer diseases. It's, it's amazing when you turn it around that way. As you were talking, I was thinking decades ago now, I participated in California in some with other therapists in some child abuse cases and sexual child sexual abuse cases and, and treatment. The community rallied around this and began to work on prevention and what do we teach our little bitty youngest children. And so they started with, you know, with issues of privacy and teaching the child that their body belonged to them. And that there were good touches and bad touches. And good touches are touches you wanted. Bad touches are touches you don't. And they taught the children very young to be able to say no. So now you don't have to kiss great aunt Ethel or uncle whatever. You get to say no. You don't have to hug somebody you don't like. And and so what happened is is that there was later on there was a case where several of those kids who had been through that teaching were away at a Cub Scout camp with a predator. Their, cow, their scoutmaster was a predator, and, and they all said no. And when they came home, they reported him instead of being victims. And so I think that sex education starts with owning your body. That is probably the best advice that can come out of this cast tonight is making sure that the proper messages are sent. Correct. And it starts, so it starts before sex. It starts with you have your own private space. In your space is not just your body. Your body's in there, your thoughts, your feelings, 
um, your wants, your needs, all of those things are yours. And so if you start early, you get, and I, I, I like the idea of sex positivity, but I also like the idea of life positivity, mm-hmm. that we're going to, we're going to look at life as this joyful experience. And how do we equip our children and how do we help our friends or, our, or my clients achieve that joy that they're entitled to in life? And it's also setting some free thinking going because if you just hear this repeated sex is dirty, sex is bad, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. The first thing you do is your mind is going to go into the curiosity mode and say, hey, what's this sex all about? Right. And so if the mind and the body are raised correctly together in sync, then it takes Mm -hmm. the risk away. Right. But also, because when we started this this part of our discussion with the issues of kids stumbling over mommy and daddy's toys, friends' toys or whatever. Okay. Our strange uncle Jack. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so, so if the, your child learns privacy, then they have privacy. And so do you, if they have a toy box that there's theirs that you don't go into, if they have a room that you don't search, then you're already teaching them that issues of privacy so that you have privacy too. Underlying all of that is respect. You're teaching privacy and you're teaching respect for other people and respect for yourself. I, I really can't agree with you more on this because I see so many violations of trust when a a child is taught something and the first thing you do is completely check it out and take it all apart and find out what they've done wrong. Uh, You can't have trust when you do that. As a play and art child coach, I just want to mention that the language of young children is play and that that's why sometimes you need a specialist to be able to hear what they're saying in their play. And while I don't treat mental and behavioral disorders anymore, I now coach children who want to solve problems. So most children that, you know, oftentimes a child will go to a therapist because they have a life problem and then they have to have a diagnosis because then they need insurance and and so on and so on. When the diagnosis really is they have a problem in life and that's what coaching is for. Kind of in closing tonight, I I wanted to talk about one last subject. Back on episode 215, uh, Master Ron Kay did an episode on who can consent. And that kind of opened up a lot of controversy uh, on uh, the Kinky Cast because Mm -hmm. we obviously know that a juvenile cannot consent to sex or to contracts or to anything for that matter. But once you achieve adulthood and whatever age you want to pick and it varies around the world. But if you have a mental illness of some sort, and that could be anything from bipolar to autism on through different spectrums, legally you cannot consent. Okay. Do you agree with that? I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to express a legal opinion. Before I was a therapist, which was before I'm now a coach, I was a special education teacher. So I taught a variety of ages all the way up to high school students with diagnosable behavioral disorders and mental illness. 
And depending on where they were in the scheme of things, in their condition, I would have to say that that's not a black and white issue. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a police officer. I've only, you know, I mean, my only experience in that arena has been as a teacher and as a mental health professional. But I couldn't make a blanket statement like that, that people with mental disorders can't consent because they consent to treatment. They consent to to not have treatment. <laughs> they, they, you know, they, I mean, there are a variety of life issues that that a person can say yes or no to and, and do. When you get into um, certainly being treated for something is a, a major decision and entering into a legal contract with somebody whether it is signing a lease for an apartment or whether it is buying a car or whatever it is, that does mm-hmm. open up a whole can of worms as to who can consent to that, let, let alone who can consent to having sex with somebody. And uh, we have had situations where people with uh, some mental disabilities had consented, had something go horribly wrong, had ended up in court. And this was tested. I'm very glad that that's not on my plate. (laughs) It is a rough road there. My plate, however, involves helping people decide what they want to consent to and what they don't want to consent to. There was a class I offered once at the mark that um, on how to say no. People wanted to pop psychology it. I'm going to say this example of pop psychology. No is one word. It's a complete sentence. That's what they said. Well, that's not really the issue because in order to say no, you have to know what you want to say no to. So in order to know in terms of BDSM what you want to say yes and no to, there's a process. And you have to ask yourself. You have to ask yourself before someone else asks you what you want. And so I, I, I we came up and I, I brought to the class somebody's list of BDSM, a checklist, uh, somebody's negotiation list, a whole long big list of all kinds of activities, uh, several pages long. And I talked about what I'm going to say now, which is, which is in order to say yes, in order to say no, you have to ask yourself, you have to go through those lists, you have to go through those classes, you have to go through watching other people at the dungeon or at the play party asking yourself, how do I feel about that? Do I want to do that? Do I like that? Is that interesting? Or does it turn me off? And what I hear a lot from people when I discuss the process of finding out what you really want and being safe and deciding how you will make it possible for you to give a a real consent, they say, this is too much work. Okay, well, it's not. It's not too much work. It's too much work if you don't do it and you get into trouble. Make a snap decision. Right. You let that frenzy drive you. Okay. And so in terms of consent, what my position is, is I don't have an opinion on what other people do. I certainly don't have a legal opinion. I have an opinion that, that I want people to learn what they want and what they don't want. And as a coach, I have no judgment on what they want and don't want. I'm just there to help them find out. Those are wise words. And that thought process that you're talking about 
comes out to thing uh, that we talked about in uh, episode 164 with Dr. Brad Sagarin uh, on the culture of affirmative consent. And okay. so if you go into a situation and say, this is what I want, and I will say yes to this, as opposed to say no. I agree. Okay. I want this. I want this. And I want this. Those I'm not interested in. There you go. Yes. Laura, I want to thank you for being on the show tonight and uh, all this sort of stuff. We want to get everybody coached. If they want to reach you, your link is? Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, lifecoaching.com. And that will be on our show page. So anybody that needs more information from Laura, go to her site, send her an email, book some time from her. And what we don't want is, and I, I, I these are shameless plugs, is, okay. is episode 201, BDSM Nightmares. <laughs> so we don't want you to be one of the BDSM Nightmares. Laura can help you get through that one. Can I uh, just say, I work online, I work on the phone, and I work in my office in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Okay, very good. Well, we thank you for being with us tonight, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. You have been listening to episode 225 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week when we present Whips and Chains. Woody and the Beast talk about dungeon implements. <laughs>